Welcome to CCS Convo, the podcast for EV lovers and the EV curious. Join Nick and Louise every fortnight as we discuss the latest news in electric vehicles and look at some of the electric vehicles that are currently available. You can find out more by visiting rps-dm.co.uk forward slash ccs-convo. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of CCS Convo. I'm Nick Smith, I'm your host, and I'm joined very shortly by Louise to discuss the subject of our first road test. Thanks to Stellantis and you, Peugeot in Sheffield, who were given the opportunity to drive the E208 GT Premium. Just as it's about to get a mild facelift uh, with the uh, increase in battery and and range and things like that, mild technical improvement. We got to drive the old car and see how it stacks up against the modern competition. So, without any further ado, we're going to say thank you to Stellantis and you for being our hosts and for letting us steal your car on a bank holiday. And we're going to get straight into our opinions of the E208. Thanks to Stellantis and you, Peugeot in Sheffield, formerly Robinson Day, on Penderston Road, we've had the chance to drive the top-of-the-range Peugeot E208, the GT Premium. The car that we drove was a 2022 72-plate car. It was their demonstrator. The uh, car had done about 1,200 miles when we got in it, so it's close to a new car as you're going to get a test drive in. And it was finished in a lovely Columbus grey. As I said, it sits at the top of the range. So we're, we're looking at the, the most desirable of the Peugeot E208s. We also have specifications of Active Plus and Allure Premium Plus. Our car, list price, 34595 The range starts at 31345 So those are the basics of the car and before I get into things like battery sizes and horsepowers Louise give me your first impressions of walking up to that Columbus Grey GT Premium on the on the nice 17 inch Shaw diamond cut alloy wheels so my first thoughts were wow this looks really good it's it's low it's got tinted windows genuinely looks like a very exciting drive it looked ready to go even standing still didn't it it's not one of these ones that looks moving while it's standing still oh definitely but it looks poised while it's standing still it, it looks like a lion hunting well it has got a lion on the front so that's fair so of import to most people listening to this podcast is things like battery sizes and charging speeds so let's Let's get down with some numbers. The car comes with a 50 kilowatt hour battery, the same 50 kilowatt hour battery as in your E2008. It's also shared <laughs> yeah. also shared with the Corsa, shared with the Citroen EC4, shared with the Rifter and the Bolingo. 
In terms of charging speeds, 7 kilowatts AC charging and up to 100 kilowatts DC charging. So to fill the car from empty at home is going to take about seven and a half hours and to fill it on an appropriate charging point out in in the real world you're looking 30 minutes to to do the 20 between 20 and 80 percent charge which is i mean as somebody that can't charge 20 to 80 percent that quickly that's good to me what what's it like to you you you've got the lived experience of this size battery with this charging speed so I don't have the option of charging at home, at which point, for me, public charging is the way forward. And that charging speed of 30 to 45 minutes being from wherever I plug in or whatever battery to the 80% I'm going to stop at fits nicely within my day. It's a nice kind of gap. Time to do some work, time to have some me time. Looking at this car, by your car, mentally parking the two cars in my in my mind, the charging location is approximately the same on both cars. This is slightly shorter. The charging point is slightly closer to the back of the car and the car is slightly narrower. Now, the only chargers around here that can do anything more than 50 kilowatts are the two at Costa at Catcliffe and the one at Barracks McDonald's. All the rest are 50s around here, aren't they? They are. Um, to get out to 100, you're looking a bit further out from this area. Now, we know from your experience that the ones at Costa at Catcliffe are useless to you. They are. Would that be the you same? Wonder with whether this? you might be able to in this. So it it was literally you were just that little bit too short to get it into the. Yes, it wasn't so... vastly off. It was just sufficiently far off. There was no way of doing it in my car. Okay, with this so... being that bit lower, that little bit less long, you might get it in. Okay. The one at McDonald's is angled completely wrong for a rear charging point, isn't it? That, that oh, it's charge, awful. That charge point was designed with my car in mind. Yes, it was. So, not one that you could charge at Peniston Road McDonald's? Not unless you are comfortable reversing across a flow of traffic. Okay. So, this is all very specific to Sheffield stuff here. Let's make it a little bit more generic. Uh, and let's talk about what that battery drives. Uh, it drives a 100 kilowatt motor, which is a 134 brake horsepower, uh, for those wanting to speak English. It produces 260 pounds-feet of torque, which is more than enough for a car of this size it drives it onto a top speed of 93 miles an hour which to me is just a little bit lower than it needs to be um just purely looking at the other cars that are out there most other electric vehicles the notable exceptions being the twizzy and the ami uh can can break the 100 mile an hour barrier in places where you're allowed to do it In terms of sizes, uh, we spoke that it's 
a little bit shorter than yours. Size is 4.055 meters long. It is 1.96 meters wide, uh, which is actually quite a wide car. Uh, most cars are somewhere about 1.8 meters wide. And the height, 1.43 meters high, uh, which is good in my eyes because it then means you can put a top sign on top of it and still get it through a McDonald's drive through lane. Important thing. The car that we drove is a five-door example. And whilst I'm sure there were three-door cars, I can't remember ever actually seeing one. Don't think I have either. Now, the Corsa, the Corsa five. is a five-door only now. The Citroen C3 is a five-door only car, I think. I think Stellantis, of basically the Fiat 500, is their three-door offering now. I have to admit, I'm not a huge fan of three-door cars. It, I'm in favour of going to standard five-door. Oh, I love a good three-door. But those are the, the vital statistics on the car. And I think as we start to look at the outside of the car, I think those proportions are very well balanced. It doesn't look misshapen in any way. Um, the, the stance is purposeful. It being a little bit wider than I expected it to be makes it look a little bit more grown up as well. What are your thoughts on the way the car looks from the outside? From the outside... Looking at it from the front, um, you've got your multi-light clusters. You've got those big, long LEDs that are the running lights on modern Peugeot design. And I love that. I love the way the body colour integrates with the black in the grille to give you that really intense front image. I've been doing more research on this car now, and that light signature that you talk about, is the claw and tooth design okay so the three the three lines through the light cluster of the claw and the long fang that hangs down the bumper is the tooth or the fang um, love it so they really have they've gone back to the lion with this one you, you can see throughout all of the current Peugeot model range except for the vans you could you can you can see that they they they've gone back to their emblem as the key to their design. They have, and it's made a big difference. This is quite a smooth car. Um, it's got it just keeps flowing as you go from the front to the back. It just flows through beautifully. Got a little bit of a spoiler going on, and then you come down to. Um, the kind of shared black lights and the black panel with the logos in it's it's a really attractive car it's it's clean it's relatively simple it doesn't lose any presence as a result of that looking looking from my experience of the motor trade it's also going to be a car that's going to be with the exception of the wheel arch mouldings, which if you when you look at the base model car, yeah, seems a little bit naked without them. But it's the only part of the car that if it picks up a car park ding is going to cost you more. Because that's the side effect of them being that shiny material on the 
top range. But when you look at the the bodywork, it's all relatively simple uh, radiuses. There's no sharp angles, so in that regard, it's going to be cheaper to to take the car park dings out and things like that as well. And I don't think that the Corsa and the Citroen, obviously built on the same platform, they've got a bit of a bubble car about them, whereas this hasn't. This is proportioned, well-designed, flows from badge to badge really, really well. It's, 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 a, it's a whole car design. It does. Although the low-mounted rear fog light which I, I mean, I, when we were talking about it at the dealership, I said it was mini-inspired. It actually goes back to the 207, which okay. predated the mini by about a month. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a close-run thing. But when we look at it being designed as a cat, that, that then becomes awfully like the cat's back bottom. The tail... No, 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 no. The tail wouldn't stand out quite so much. This is, this is the cat's chocolate starfish. <laughs> Definitely the tail. <laughs> okay, before I lower the tone of this one any further, I think we've agreed that we like the styling on the car. Definitely. Let's then continue the aesthetic appreciation as we come into the car. Okay. And let's start off from the driver's seat. So the car that we drove, being the top of the range one, had the 3D cockpit, which is the fully digital information display. You've got a instrument cluster directly in front of you, which is multi-layered and customizable. Uh, between that and you, you have a compact squared off steering wheel, a two-spoke arrangement with controls mounted on it you've still got the now almost traditional audio and clues controls on separate stalks hidden behind the wheels and then the one thing that i thought they hadn't really updated much in the steering wheel area is that the indicator and wiper stalks felt very similar to the older Citroen products that I've owned and driven. Running down the driver's side door, you then get other controls which are straight out of the historic PSA parts bin. The mirror adjusters are the same mirror adjusters that were on my 2006 Citroen C3. The window switches, again, same switches on those. It's a case of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's all built into a very sculpted wraparound dashboard layout. Centre console is dominated by a 10-inch touchscreen, which has your satellite navigation controls on it, your ventilation controls on it. Everything controlled through that central display with vents below and then an array of fighter jet style toggle switches. This is something which appeals to the 10-year-old in me, but also wouldn't look out of place in something like a Lamborghini. <laughs> Directly below that, you've got a storage cubby, 
that you can close off. Below that, you've got a storage bin that you can't. And then the car that we drive, we drove had the e-toggle drive selector, which is posh Peugeot speak for the gear stick, which isn't a stick. It's a, <laughs> it's a proper toggle switch and felt quite weighty. You have an electronic parking brake, which does have auto hold on it. I couldn't see a switch to turn the auto hold off. And then you have a drive mode switch further back. A couple of cup holders in that centre console. Uh, with it being an electronic handbrake, you haven't got the lever there to knock the lid off your McLarty. And then you've got a big storage cubby bin behind you. In the front, the spec sheet for this car actually lists a USB and a USB-C. But being in the car, we can tell you it's got two USB-Cs in the front, two USBs in the rear. So that is the verbal description of what we faced. What's your thoughts on it? So when you get into the car, the first thing you see is that everything around you is leather and chrome and shades of muted black. So you sit in the seats, got leather steering wheel, you've got all the chrome buttons, and actually everything is exactly where you'd want it. Everything is within reach. Everything is pointed and aimed towards it being there for the driver. So the central screen is tilted towards the driver. All the buttons are just an easy hand off the wheel, then there's the button, then back on. It's really, really ergonomic and really, really comfortable. A couple of things I will say here. People will hear you say chrome and they'll shy away. It is a satin effect, steel or chrome. It's not a garish, in-your-face, shiny 1960s chrome. It is very, no, taste, it's not. very tastefully done. I will also say that everything is where you'd expect it to be. But unless you are a Peugeot i-cockpit driver, you can't check it easily on the move. No, I will no. definitely give you that one. You have to have learned it in order to be comfortable that you've gone to the right button. Absolutely. One of the first things I said when I drove the car out of the dealership is, oh, this is quiet. And then B, how the heck do I turn the climate control on? <laughs> because I had to go <laughs> to you for advice on that one. Because the problem with these fighter jet inspired toggle switches and it really is when you when you look at them and you, and you actuate them it is activate master arm for amram 3 it's brilliant <laughs> it is but you've got the switches you've then got the markings for what they are closer to the bonnet than the switches the vents bow out over them so they slightly obscure the markings and you have to take your eyes off the road and hunt for them unless you have a handy Peugeot owner in the back in the passenger seat. Just take a Peugeot owner with you everywhere you go. <coughs> I couldn't afford to pay your salary. <laughs> <laughs> I worried about the steering wheel when I first saw it. And I've seen it in a number of cars. I've seen it in... I saw it in this. Obviously, I saw it because I drove it. I've also sat in a 308 in Robinson Day, as Stellantis and you was at the time. I've also sat in the 508, um, the Peugeot 508 PSE, uh, Peugeot Sport Engineered Estate Car. Fell in love with it, 
realised that I could afford about 10% of it. And I've seen it in your car, and I've always thought it looked too small. But it didn't feel it. It guides your hands straight to that racing driver quarter to three position. I know you tend to drive your car at uh, 10 to three position. I drive 11 and three. So one hand hooked over the top, one thumb sat on the spoke. The materials throughout, you said about the the leather effect and the stitching. Yeah. I actually laid hands on everything. You could see nothing in it felt cheap. No, it, it really does feel like a quality car. The door card controls, the electric windows and the mirror controls didn't feel as high quality as the rest of the controls. They felt almost like an afterthought. But as I say they are parts that have been brought forward from older models. And it ain't broke, so they didn't didn't feel the need to fix it. Sat in the driver's seat, obviously taking a look around. You've got good view out the front. Well, I had a good view out the front. Apparently you can see the the front shoulders of the car. Uh, whereas I could see each corner of the car quite quite easily. I had the mirrors, which look quite small compared to what I'm used to from the outside, didn't feel small from the inside. They gave good visibility. The one complaint I'd have about it is the thickness of that B-pillar. I think that's a lot thicker than it needs to be. So when you're approaching junctions at an acute angle, then the B-pillar gets in the way a little bit and you've got to do a bit more of the, the dancing head to get the visibility you want. The one place I felt visibility was lacking was through the rear window. Um, the rear headrests were up in the car, which further exacerbated that, but a little bit of st style over substance with the size of the rear window is, is my one negative from the interior experience of the car. See, I didn't really have that experience. We swapped over part way through the test drive and as I was doing my cockpit drill and putting mirrors in the right place, I couldn't see anything out of the rear view mirror and then realised because of our height difference, all I was seeing was, was roof. When I adjusted it down, I couldn't see any of the headrests. From the passenger seat, the experience for me was different and I'd like to know whether it was different for you and it may have been for the same reasons, it may have been for different reasons. The reason it was different for me is whereas in the driver's seat I felt encompassed and cocooned and made safe by the wraparound dashboard. In the passenger seat I felt a bit encroached by how far into the cab that B-pillar intruded. I was up against the centre console with my right leg and I was up against the B-pillar with my left shoulder. Now... Some people call me broad-shouldered, some people call me big-boned. I respond that I've never seen a fat skeleton, so I can't be big-boned. When you poke me hard in the shoulders, it's the only part of me that isn't fat. <laughs> there's a little bit of skin, very little bit of flesh, and then there's bone. I am a big chap, but it felt... The passenger seat felt a little bit enclosed. A little bit too enclosed for me. I'm not certain I'd want to be a passenger in it. But until I started doing what I do now, I made a point of never being a passenger in my own car. So... This is reasonable. My, my priorities have changed since I started putting L plates in my car on a regular basis. 
What See, was... for me, as a passenger, I didn't really notice a lack of space. What I actually noticed was there was a lot of space in front of me and that I have a lot of leg room. But again, I'm quite short. So I'm not the best person to make judgments on leg room. And I didn't adjust the seat either when I got in it the front to back of the seat. So it was positioned for somebody my size. Yeah. yeah. And we are quite literally the tall and the short of it, aren't we? We are. I, I think if we're being generous, I'm a foot shorter than you. The back seats looked quality. We didn't try them out, mainly because with both seats in my position, there wasn't a whole lot of legroom available there. <laughs> but it looked like the quality that was present in the front of the car carried its way through to the back. We've already said there's two USB charging ports in the back to keep small children occupied with iPads or Android tablets or GTEC tablets or whatever it is you're using there. I've always thought it quite strange that they give us all these little charging ports inside electric cars so we can quite literally sap our car's lifeblood to keep the iPhone going. Um, going for the driver convenience section of this spec sheet. Uh, audio communications doesn't list a wireless charger having it in my car that strikes me as, a, as an omission the fact that i don't use it in my car i have my phone on a mag mount in a, on an air vent and i plug cable into it i don't even plug it in for carplay either i plug it into a powered usb socket to charge the phone because i spend 12 hours a day in my car i don't have a wall socket to plug it into but having the ability to just chuck the phone in the in the wireless charger and let it do its thing, I think not having that is an omission in a car battling in this class. I think I agree with you there. While I don't actually have anything that is capable of wireless charging, I think I would expect my car to be able to for the time when I do actually have to upgrade something and then have a device that is capable of wireless charging. We've covered space in the front and the rear quite nicely. We've covered the simplicity of the controls quite nicely. We've covered visibility quite nicely. We've also covered charging with the speeds and talking about how you get onto various chargers. Range on the vehicle. Now, they claim 217 for this. And they claim slightly less for yours, don't they? So let's have a indication as to how far out the Stellantis gets a meter is I think it's 213 they claim for yours so for mine they claim 210 210 in eco running in B mode which is your increased regen mode okay um I in the heat of summer when I first got my car scraped 200 I I'm averaging between 180 and 190 if we exclude the periods in winter when we were at minus six, minus nine. So we're saying here we take, what, 15 to 20% off? Yes. Um, get an average for the year. I try and drive efficiently. I don't do a lot of motorway work. I suspect it would be lower if I did a lot of motorway running. So we'd be expecting probably 190 out of this. I would say so, because I can get 190 out of mine, which is slightly heavier. 
Okay, so not terrible, but falling short of where we're expecting things to be for new cars now. It is worth noting that this car is it's about to be facelifted slightly. Particularly technologically, there is a, a bigger battery coming. Only one kilowatt hour bigger, but there's more usable battery in there as well, which will further improve the range. So according to the figures on the new version, uh, which are here from Car Wow. I haven't got them on any official Peugeot website. Um, 232 miles range out of the new 156 brake horsepower car. Top speed the same at 93. That makes sense because despite the more powerful motor, it's the final drive ratios of the single speed gearbox, which dictate how fast the car is going to go. And they won't have changed that gearbox. So, so that makes sense. There. The other thing I will note is this newer one, uh, recommended retail price for the car while I'm saying, is 450 quid more. Okay. So the price goes up slightly. And they're only showing the only only showing the uh the higher power version on the GT. Driving experience then. I was taken by it straight away. In eco and in normal mode, it did feel a little bit restrained. Like I was encouraging it to go forward and it was being a little bit recalcitrant. It didn't didn't want to get up and go quite as fast as I expected it to. But it was making all the right... Wrong thing to say for an electric car, but it was making all the right noises. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. In the passenger seat... It just felt like it wanted to go. It just felt like it wanted to go and play. But to a certain extent, around town in the eco modes that we were we were trying around town. Yeah. It felt like a toddler that begged and begged and begged and begged and begged for a bag of crisps, and then you gave it the bag of crisps. It ate one and didn't want any more. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably not a metaphor you hear very often in car reviews, but welcome to CCS Convo. <laughs> <laughs> We're all about the crisps. Getting out onto faster roads, so when I switched it into sports mode, that unrealised eagerness all of a sudden was realised. It was. So much so that despite my best efforts, I put my foot down and on this country road... We were stuck behind a motorbike. This motorcyclist, bless his heart, you could, you could see from his back tyre that he wasn't the world's most confident motorcyclist because the tyre was basically square. Um, so he didn't get it over very often. And he was pootling down this country lane on this rather powerful motorcycle. And I finally got a straight so where it was clear. So I came out, put my foot down to get past him, looked down, and I was heading on towards 73, 74 in a 60. And I hadn't realised it. Even in my car, which is electric, there is a whole lot more road noise, a whole lot more wind noise present than I detected in the Peugeot. It's a much more isolated driving experience, but I don't mean that in a bad way. Being in the Peugeot, you can't hear the world outside. It is such a quiet car. It is such a quiet driving experience. In terms of 
the rest of the driving experience those dimensions which i said not too long i mean this whole car is about half a meter shorter than a current mini it's about as wide as a current mini so we're not but we're talking about a car that's there's a wheel at each corner and those corners are spread apart as much as they can be in their shape you feel that through the bends it the steering is well weighted when you're chucking it through the country roads it is light and responsive when you're maneuvering and when you're around town the tires the way they grip the road the way the suspension helps them to grip the road encourages you to not do anything stupid but to enjoy a b-road bash rather than be the car that's holding everybody else up um, i think is the diplomatic way of putting this one again in some places that that b pillar visibility became an issue out on the country roads around by langset but on the whole it was an absolute hoot to drive and it was it was wonderful we went out to say around langset we went out tried some of the steeper gradients um and took it out on what were some relatively poorly maintained roads which it managed really well it wasn't bangy or crashy with it either it damped its weight very well it controlled its weight very well that's i mean that's part and parcel of the battery being in in the transmission tunnel and under the floor the weights all low down it's a, a characteristic of evs but it didn't lean into the corners the way if you were pushing on in a combustion car it might do which encouraged confidence in the corners you said that the mocha when you test drove that felt very much like a go-kart yes it did that's more how i felt this in that it was talking to me telling me everything that i needed to know and it wasn't being disturbed by anything i was asking it to do it seemed simple enough that i could ask it to do something and it would just happen there wouldn't be a a setting somewhere in there that was set in a factory in in france that nobody knows about which is going to give the car that desire to turn around and bite my head off so we've discussed the price range and between 31 and a half and 35 basically we don't need to go into much more detail than that except for the fact that the car that we drove is 34 and a half list price the paint would have put it up a little bit so assume 35 for this what i'd like from you is three positives and three negatives i'm going to ask for the negatives first my first negative would probably be the range it is that little bit low for a car of this type there are others in a similar size that you would get more from and as someone who can't charge at home i've got to consider how often am i going to be sat in my car somewhere charging it my second negative would probably be price it is a little high for a car of this size um my 2008 is a lower spec model and a very similar price and it's 
physically quite a lot more car. And in my role, in my day job, it's important that I can get two folded wheelchairs in my car and three people. We haven't discussed the boot on this one in much detail. And I've been looking at photos ever since. You look at the bag that contains the Type 2 charging cable. Takes up about a third of the boot floor. Yeah. And I'm guessing they didn't design a new bag for the E2008. They just used the bag that they use. I would be very surprised if there is a different bag for my car. So um, we can use this as a, as, as a comparative measure. If you laid your bag down in the boot of your car, how much space would it take up? So that same bag in my car takes up just under a third. So we're talking similar floor plan boot sizes. Because it's about just under a third in this. I well, think the real looking difference at that, boot I would say that height. was just under half. Left, right. I yeah. Mean. So I would say looking at the photo here that's just under half in my car it's just under a third you can get it fully in my car twice and then have a bit of extra in the 2008 i've moved it around to try and fit things in better around it it's I a think, good size boot for a small car I but think, for me as a potential buyer it would be too small yeah i think they prioritize front seats and boots at the end front seats and boot at the expense of the back seats on this one almost certainly and given again, how good the front was which again does make some sense given that the majority of buyers of this cars are going to be young professionals no kids might be taking their nieces and nephews out occasionally nieces yeah. and nephews are going to be very young um if if you were looking to have your own young family, you'd probably trade the 208 in and buy a 2008 to replace it. I think so. Yeah. Um, this this isn't necessarily a car that I think would enjoy having multiple child seats in it. Back seat space, negative for you. Boot space, look, just... Space away from the driver in general. Yeah. The range and the cost. Now, yeah. one of the benefits of how we've ended up doing this is that I've had a day to think about my experience with the car. And to think a bit about the question I'm going to ask you next, by the way, after we've gone through your positives. So whilst my negatives, when I asked you this question yesterday, were range, price, and alloy wheels. <laughs> they were? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to list range as a negative, And I'll explain why in a couple of questions time. I think the price, the list price of it is a negative. And the reason I think the list price of it is a negative is if I do a quick search now for Hyundai Kona list price uk i might want to put electric in there as well so i don't get the combustion 21 grand one
premium. So my car, the 39 kilowatt hour battery one, which is 180 miles range on a charge, is broadly similar spec to this, but a thousand pounds cheaper. Yes, and that's a big difference. And if I scroll further down on this one and get the battery that I've got, which is the 64 kilowatt one, that's recommended on the road price of 37750 Okay. It's quite a big jump, but quite a, quite a bigger battery. Yeah, I think purely in relation to range, I think the price is too high. So I've said price, back seat space, particularly for me in my line of work, serious issue because if I need to sit in the back for a test, there needs to be space for my legs. And I've already, yeah. I've already said that I'm not exactly proportioned for a small car. And then I'm going to stick with my other one, which again is purely focused on what I do for a living, which is those alloy wheels, which look great. 17 inch diamond cut. So from a distance, they look like it's riding on very thin spokes. Uh, when you get closer, you realize there's quite a lot of wheel there, which is great for economy. The less gap the, the air's got to get in between the spokes, the less drag the wheels produce. And therefore that improves efficiency, which is why I don't know if you've seen the new Mercedes alloy wheels that are coming out that look like really, really thin five spokes, but they've got big matte black. I have. I really like them. I really like them from a distance. They are ugly up close. These. Oh, I've not found one in real life yet. These alloy wheels on this, the Shaw diamond cut alloy wheels on this. They managed to look great from a distance and great up close. So, love the alloy wheel design, except for how low profile the tyres are on them. It leaves them very vulnerable to curb damage. So, what you probably find here is that I would try and spec it with the next size alloy wheel down, if I'm yeah. buying one new. Or, potentially find somebody that's got an allure and try and do a wheel swap with them. Yes, because then you have got different style. On the Allure and the Active, the tyre sits proud of the wheel and protects it. Which, in your line of work, is important. I say, purely, purely selfish negatives. <laughs> <laughs> positives, then. Give me three positives. Um, my first positive is the driving experience of the car. It was so much fun and it just wanted to play. And we went out to test it. We went out, as we said, through Langset. And it just wanted to play on those country roads. Then my second positive would be the eye cockpit. Sitting in there with everything around me, where I'd want it, within reach. It was such a comfortable experience. 
And I think my third positive would have to be the look of the car from the front in particular. I really love the front of this car. Um, I still want to call it a fang, but it's a tooth and claw. The colours as they fade into the black of the grill, I think it looks fantastic. Positives for me. The first one's going to be really cruel. The biggest positive is that it shares about 1% of its DNA with the car it replaced. Okay. Because the old 208. What a hateful sack of dung. <laughs> <laughs> I've, okay. I've had the joy of teaching him one briefly because my trainer had one. Now, he loved it. And I got out of it wanting to murder every Frenchman I ever met because I might get the bloke that designed it. Okay. It was a handbag car. It was style over substance completely. Okay. This car, about the same size, but it has the style and it has the substance to back it up. The previous 208 was a girlfriend's car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is a this 208 is a car that the boyfriend wouldn't be ashamed to drive. <laughs> I will take that under advisement. <laughs> Second positive has to be the fact that that has been continued into the interior. And everything you can lay your hands on feels quality it feels solid that e touch gear selector or whatever i called it i asked the car to put it put itself into drive now in my car i put my foot on the brake i press a button i could be paying my taxes for all the thrill it gives me <laughs> in, in this oh as soon as i take my foot off the brake it gives me thrills don't worry but the actual process of starting the car and putting it into gear is a non-event in my car. First time a learner does it is a little bit nerve-wracking, but... <laughs> <laughs> in this, there was a sense of occasion, and there's that nicely weighted toggle switch down by your leg that you you deliberately move back into the correct position and it feels like you've achieved something and it feels like something that achievement that you've had causes something to happen underneath it to make the car ready to go and then you can't hear it purring but it's almost like yeah. it's spotted the gazelle and it's ready to go <laughs> that's an awesome analogy <laughs> and final positive I'm going to caveat this. If I had the car for a week, I'd be saying the iCockpit. Because there is so much in that 3D iCockpit that I just didn't have the time to, to look at. And I'm sure once I've had a chance to play with it, 
that it's become a very powerful tool for involving me in the driving experience. It just, it strikes me as, again, going for another analogy, it strikes me as a MacBook that in that there is so much it's capable of but because I'm used to Windows, I don't know how to get the best out of it. And it's going to take me time to get the best out of it. Absolutely. Okay, so coming up to the final questions. What do you think this car's rivals are? I hadn't really considered this. Um... I see this car as designed for young professionals, maybe young couples, not really a family car. I would have to say that its competitors would be the Mini, level one or level two, probably. Um, be it 500. Possibly little ID three. I think those probably would be its main competitors. Oh, and possibly the Corsa, the E and the normal Corsa. Um, because there are other small EVs around, but I would say this is. Slightly more car than perhaps the Honda E or the E-Up or things like the Twizy or the Ami that are genuinely micro cars. I would answer broadly similar to you. I would include the Honda E in its rivals. I think, okay. it's, I think its rivals are the Honda E. The Fiat 500e, the Mini, <laughs> which I, I, I still say they should have dropped the second I and put an E on the end of it. Oh, they definitely should. Um, and there is a key determiner there, a, a key difference there. Honda, Fiat, and Mini. They're all aspirational lifestyle brands yes if I had to pick a combustion rival for it I'd be hard pushed to choose between a decent top spec normal polo or a entry level Audi A1 if I had to Add a combustion, the A1 would be on my list. Um, Mazda 2 would be there for me as well. Not so certain on the Mazda 2, but you've got more of a soft spot for Mazda than I have at the moment. But what I'm getting at here, particularly with those three electrics, Honda E, 120 miles rear world range. Fiat 500 E, 130 miles rear world range. Mini. 130 miles real world range this is why taking the time to sleep on this has changed my opinion of it because we're 
price parity with our rivals and we've got 70 miles more range if you that's in... a really interesting way of looking at it because i hadn't realized how much more range this has than its competitors if you look at it as a electric car and i did say that electric car drivers tend to be fairly segment agnostic they will go from having driven a insignia to driving a kona or having driven a corsa to driving a lexus plug-in jobby or whatever uh, when they move to electric vehicles so they'll move out of their traditional segment but when you put it back in its put it back in its segment as a as a small electric car despite the fact it's a lot better screwed together the Corsa comes into contention but the Corsa's not fighting in this car's weight class at all the Corsa is a volume stack them high and forget to sell them cheap yes whereas this is we were saying it all all through the through the test drive that it's an emotional purchase not an intellectual one and that's what moves it away from peugeot's traditional rivals the fact that peugeot now owns most of its traditional rivals means this is a good thing because if they hadn't repositioned this car then it would be competing against the corsa and the c3 and succeeded with this car in repositioning it from a volume super mini to a premium lifestyle brand they have but that's also then forgiven the car's shortcomings which are its range and its price because its range is better than its rivals and its price is the same definitely a car that has spoken to my heart I really enjoyed this car the question is would you buy one and I think given that your very specific requirements to be able to carry five adults and their wheelchairs the answer to this is going to be no I'd ask you to put that to one side so putting aside my day job And what I'm going to ask you here, actually, I'm going to change this question slightly. Okay. Go back to the last week of August. Yep. Put aside your day job, would you have bought this? And I ask that because you didn't know then what you know now about charging. Quite possibly, yes. Okay, and that's at the price point of 34 and a half plus cover. Yeah. Okay. If I ask myself the same question, put aside my day job, which means I no longer need to be able to do 280 miles in two days if the power goes out overnight, it becomes a serious contender, but I'd still probably be swayed by the additional space of the short range Kona. Then I click on this page here, which you can't see because I'm not screen sharing. And I go to the Stellantis and you 
used car website where as soon as we were finished with it the salesman took back his car took it round to the valeting bay washed it and took the photo so they could list it on sale the car that we drove currently has and in the photos you can see it 1256 miles on it so it's not even running and it's up for 28995 at that price point I wouldn't be able to say no to it it's a very nice car So, there you go. Just because a car isn't the newest doesn't mean you should discount it. The E208 was a revelation to me, at least. So, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Thank you again to Stellantis and you, Peugeot, for being our kind hosts. If you want to find out more about the Peugeot range of cars, visit stellantisandyou.co.uk. If you want to find out more about the podcast, it's rps-dm. .co.uk and click on the CCS Convo logo on the front page there. We look forward to speaking with you again with the news in a couple of weeks' time, but for now, remember, keep your car charged and please make sure you enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the CCS Convo podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit rps-dm.co.uk forward slash ccs-convo. CCS Convo is an RPS-driven media production. All rights are reserved.